we've been talking about uh, revival. We're not the only ones. A lot of people are. We want to see it happen. There are a lot of challenges. We've been dealing with some of those, you know, the, the preparation and so forth for what is coming. Well, last Sunday, one of the things that I was sharing about had to do with the whole concept of discipling and how that those of us here who've been here for a period of time, we should be in a place of being able to disciple those who are new converts. And when I, when I say disciple, we ought to be able to, well, like in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about, you know, you ought to be teachers. Not have the ministry calling of a teacher, but you ought to be able to at least explain the very basics of what it means to be born again. It's referred to as, you know, the oracles of God, the basic oracles of God and of Jesus. And we should be able to do that. And one of the things that I made available to you as a handout that uh, can be downloaded and printed from the website next to the MP3 of this service. But it had to do with some things that we should be able to teach. For example, you know, born again, what does that mean? And, uh, you know, what does it mean to have the, you know, the new man on the inside? I mean, what is all of this? What is the law of sin and death? What's the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus? We should be able to teach those things and explain them in a way that makes sense. You don't have to know the in-depth Greek and Hebrew and all. You don't have to know this stuff. You know, you don't have to go into that much detail to give just the basics. Same thing, uh, you know, what are baptism, repentance, the Holy Spirit, the whole issue of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and, and so forth. You know, these very basics, and there are some others that could be included in that, we should be able to share these things, to teach these things to people. We should be able, as I mentioned, to develop a 45-minute lesson on all the subjects that I shared and that were on that handout, and more than that. One of the things that you know I did years ago, and I shared about this, was I would listen to sermons, pray in the Spirit, follow along in Scripture, take notes. And those notes became sermons at some point in time. And I, and I think, as I mentioned, that I still have some that I've never preached. I mean, I'd have to go back and take a look through the notebook, still have them. But it was preparation for what was to come. And a lot of people wonder, well, you know, Pastor Jim, how'd you get started? Well, that's one way. You begin to spend that time with the Lord. You begin to press in. And you begin to take those notes. They don't have to be perfect. It's just what you're doing is you're, you're documenting what God is teaching you. And He teaches you, you know, also through the sermons that you hear. So we need to be prepared for this. And, and as I was thinking about it uh, this week, especially yesterday, I began to wonder about the whole aspect of revival. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
First Corinthians chapter 12. Begin to think about revival. How that we want to see revival take place in this region here. And this region is known as the Miami Valley because the Miami River flows through this region. And then Pastor Bronk, down at his church, they want to see revival break out in that region of Immokalee. Well, likewise, out in Tulsa, they want to see revival break out in that region. And we are in the early stages of revival. There's no doubting about that. And it's going to increase. But we want it to increase according to God's timing not just because, well, we want to see it now, right now. Well, we do. But we want God's timing. And we need to be prepared. We need to be developing ourselves spiritually for what's coming. That's part of what has been going on in this church really for years. It's been preparation. The, the kind of teaching that's taking, that has taken place here has been about preparation. Not just a bunch of feel good, God loves you and, and have a nice day sermons. No, it's, um, you know, he's trying to get us ready. Well, when thinking about this and how we want to see revival take place, I began to realize we cannot anticipate that every church which proclaims the message of you must be born again, will be walking the same doctrinal path. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't assume that's going to happen. It'd be nice if it did. But we can't assume that. Now, in the process of pressing into God, the goal is for Him to work in us as we allow Him, obviously, so that we conform more to the image of the glory of Christ. But you can stop anywhere you want to on that path. You can go, you know, 30 steps in and just stop and just stay there the rest of your life. You know, as a church, you can go so far into it and then just stop and not go any further. And that happens. And it's gone on. And it appears as though it's continuing to go on. Well, look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is giving instruction from God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit concerning the way that God moves among people, Christians obviously, but then also within the structure of the body of Christ and in churches. He says here, chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So what he's talking about here is what we would refer to as the gifts of the Spirit. We'll get into those in just a moment. Then he says in verse 5, And there are differences of administrations 
but the same Lord. This verse 5 is talking about what you might refer to as the ministry callings. Then in verse 6, And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Verse 6 is talking about the way God moves in using the gifts of the Spirit and the ministry callings together. How He blends them together, if you will. He says, God worketh all the gifts in all the callings. But then He begins talking about, in verse 7, really narrowing it down to the gifts of the Spirit. And He says, But the manifestation of the Spirit, or as the Holy Spirit is manifesting His gifts through believers, He says, is given to every man to profit with all. Now, that phrase, every man, it comes across as a little misleading. What it means is, the Holy Spirit moves on each person according to the way that He moves on each person. It doesn't mean He moves upon each person equally. And he says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to profit with all, or for the benefit of the body of Christ, for the benefit of the church. He says, for to one person is given by the Holy Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. So, You might be used, for example, this this verse 8, you might be used by the Holy Spirit in the word of wisdom, but that's no guarantee you will ever be used in the word of knowledge. It just means the Holy Spirit decided to use you in the word of wisdom. And there are a lot of people who seem to get upset about, well, why isn't the Holy Ghost using me in this particular gift? Well, why don't you ask Him? (laughs) It's, it's, see, our responsibility is to press into God to make ourselves available to be used, but that's no guarantee He's going to use you in a specific gift at any point in time. Well, He continues and says, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh at one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. He divides or he moves upon the individual however he chooses. It's according to his will. You can't make the Holy Spirit operate through you in the gifts. You can't. And this is where the body of Christ really messes up because a lot of preachers, well, a lot of Christians seem to think that there are preachers who can operate in these gifts just because they want to. And then a lot of Christians have asked preachers, lay hands on me and impart unto me the gift of the word of wisdom or however they term it. You can't do that. A preacher cannot do that. This is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
This, what we're reading here right now, this is all talking about the gifts of the Spirit, not the ever-present anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's a huge difference in that. Jesus operated at a level of anointing, but He didn't operate by the gifts, if you will. Perfect example was when that blind man was brought to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want? And the blind man said, well, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, okay, receive your sight. That's not the gift of healing. That is the anointing that was upon his life. It was always there. It was always there. The problem we have as believers is we don't think we can ever get close to that level of anointing. But if we're conforming to the image of the glory of Christ, and it's progressive, it's, it is a maturing into that level, well then, that reveals to us the potential is there. It can happen. We have to come to the place of believing that. And as long as, as we sit back and think that this is some kind of sovereign move of God, that I'll just wake up one morning and boom, there it is. The ever-present anointing. Just like Jesus. No, you, you have to press into God. You have to keep maturing and growing spiritually. But then, he continues this explanation, this teaching, in verse 12. Now remember, he's been explaining how that the Holy Spirit will move upon people with the gifts of the Spirit, according to the way the Holy Spirit decides to. We can't make it happen. It is totally up to the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit says, I use that person in the, the word of knowledge. And I'll use this person over here with that supernatural faith. And then I'll use this person back over here for the interpretation of tongues. Well, then the next service... He uses different people. He uses each person as he desires. Again, our responsibility is to press into God and make ourselves available for him to use. And if he does, we rejoice. And if he doesn't, we rejoice. Doesn't matter. Either way. But he continues in verse 12. And and he hasn't changed the subject of people being used. He's just no longer talking about people being used in the gifts. Now look at this. Not specifically in the gifts. Look at this. Verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Where he says, all right, I'm, I'm going to bring to you an image that you're very familiar with. It's your human body. And as you look at your human body, your human body has, as he says, many members. Well, we know that. You have fingers and toes and ears and, and shoulders. I mean, you, you have all these parts of your body. In fact, the finger itself, it has essentially three sections. And then there's a fingernail. So you have all these parts of your body, external and internal. And he says, it's the same way in Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. In other words, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
Over in Titus, it talks about how that uh, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ to be born again, the Holy Spirit moves upon us with that power of born again, the power of, of regeneration, so that we become born again. And here he says, by one Spirit, so the Holy Spirit moves on us to become born again, all of us. But along with that, the born again Spirit or the born again life we have, it's the same for every Christian. There is not more than one born-again life. There is only one kind of born-again life that comes from God. That's it. There's not a whole wide selection. So if you get born again, you have the same life in you that all other Christians have. And he says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Well, what body is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the body of Christ. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. What does that mean? One Holy Ghost? No. One spiritual life. That's what he's talking about here. And he's trying to use imagery that we can relate to. You know, we all, you know, made to drink into one spirit. We accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and every single one of us, we have become unified in spirit. That spiritual life that comes from God. And then he continues and he says, and he starts giving this natural example to try to help us understand this concept. He says, for the body, the human body, and also the body of Christ is not one member, but many. Then he starts using the the illustration of the physical body. He says, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now, that's silly, because feet don't talk. I mean, they smell, but they don't talk. (laughs) And I can just imagine, as this letter is being read to these people, there were some chuckles going on. My foot doesn't talk. But then he says in verse 16, And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now, hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him? Okay, now, using this verse 18 as a natural illustration, God decided to put an arm on a shoulder. And then he decided to give it an elbow so it would bend. And then he decided to give fingers. And he decided for humans that our eyes would be up front. Now, some creatures, like birds, their eyes are kind of on the side. They're not up front like ours. So it pleased God to develop our human body the way he did. And he made sure that the finger will never become an eye. That's just the way he's designed it. But then he says, but then looking at this uh, from the, the spiritual perspective, Now hath God set the members of the body of Christ, every one of them in the body of Christ, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, 
much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. For example, you may not think you need your little toe. But if your little toe is removed, you suddenly realize how much that little toe helped you in balance. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. In other words, why is it that you use clothing to cover things up? Because there are some things you don't want to be seen out in public. So, you cover up with comeliness. You understand? Oh, that's a nice dress. Oh, that's a nice suit. That's a nice. You understand what I'm saying? Well, he says in verse 24, for our comely parts have no need. In other words, you know, granted, I know this time of year or what's going on here recently, you know, the face mask stuff and all that. I, I get that. But Normally, people don't go around wearing face masks because we figure our face is somewhat presentable. You, you follow the simple illustration here? He says, Our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another." Now, it's interesting as he's saying all of this because, you know, you look at it and it's not just about the physical body. He's using this to illustrate the operation of the spiritual body, the body of Christ. There's not supposed to be any schism in the body. Okay, if your leg itches, you use your hand to minister to your leg, right? In the body of Christ, there is supposed to be this mutual ministering among itself. And he says, verse 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Have you ever jammed your toe and felt the pain in your earlobes? <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> And, you know, you, you start saying things that you didn't think you were ever going to say again. <laughs> and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Some of you have the responsibility of being a little toe to help with balance. Some of you have the responsibility of being a fingernail that helps with the scratching. Some of you have the responsibility of being a nostril that helps you breathe. You get? Are you seeing this? And he says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. I've explained all of this using the natural illustration of the human body. And I want you to understand that in the body of Christ, this is you. This is who you are. And you have different functions. He says, and God has set some in the church. 
First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Well, no. Are all prophets? Well, no. Now see, that right there where he says, are all prophets, the gifts of the Spirit are not ministry callings. If they were ministry callings, you would be able to operate in that ministry anytime you wanted to. I'm a pastor. I operate as a pastor 24-7. I'm a teacher. I can operate as a teacher anytime. But here he's talking more about ministry callings. Are all apostles? Well, no. Not everybody is an apostle. Are all prophets? Well, no. They're not all prophets. Are all teachers? No. Now stop right there. Some people would say, but Pastor Jim, earlier you said we're supposed to be like Hebrews 5, you know, to teach. Well, that's true. All of us should be able to explain at least the basic fundamentals of being born again. That's not the ministry calling of a teacher. Here, he's talking about the ministry calling of a teacher. Somebody, um, well, when you think of Gary Carpenter, he's a teacher. That's his ministry calling. Then he says, are all workers of miracles. Now, in verses 28 and 29, this is corresponding to uh, the ministry callings that are identified over there in Ephesians, and the, the aspect, the worker of miracles, that's supposed to be accompanying the ministry calling of an evangelist. Then he says, have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, when he talks about speak with tongues and do all interpret, a lot of people, and I know I was raised hearing some of this, um, that not everybody should be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That is not what this is talking about. This is talking about tongues for interpretation. This isn't talking about praying in tongues. This is tongues for interpretation. And we understand that because he ties it together with the do all interpret. So what we're seeing here is that not everybody is called to the same ministry calling. And what we're seeing here in this chapter Not everybody is called to the same ministry calling. And not everybody is going to be used in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you know, theoretically it's possible you could live your whole Christian life and never be used in any of the gifts. I said theoretically. But the truth is, you know, we're supposed to be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. But nevertheless, the point he's trying to make in this is that everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a responsibility. And God is going to use people the way He chooses to use people. Now this is really important to remember as we are pressing further into God and further into this revival. So, when it comes to what we are supposed to do as Christians, the very basic thing that we're supposed to be doing and should be able to do is just tell somebody how to be born again. Just tell somebody, okay, look, you know, you need Jesus. And Well, why do I need Jesus? Well, because Adam sinned, the sin nature is passed down, the only way... I mean, you should be able to give just that very basic elementary explanation as to why a person needs to be born again and how to be born again. Very simple. So all of us are supposed to be a witness as far as somebody being born again. All of us. All Christians. 
That's that's where it starts as far as being used of God in any way, shape, or form. However, there's more. And I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And what we're going to read is a variation on the theme of what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a revelation. God will use everybody, but He's not going to use everybody in the same way. And when it comes to um, this uh, here, Acts chapter 8, we're just going to pick it up in verse... I'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. Now let me just stop right there. As I was reading this, suddenly the Lord just reminded me of, of something that happened in my life, 30 years ago, before I was in full-time ministry, I worked downtown Dayton at a bank. And sometimes I would just ride the bus. Just Some days I drove, some days I would ride the bus. And for a while I was riding a bus, and the bus driver was a Christian, and he also pastored. He's a bivocational pastor. Well, some days... We were like the only ones on the bus. So he and I began talking, and some, I don't know, for some reason, somehow, the whole subject of casting out devils came up. And he said something that I was totally unprepared to hear, that really, you know, stopped me in my tracks and stunned me to the point that I really wasn't sure how to respond at that moment. I mean, I know now. But when it came to casting out devils, he made the comment, he said, oh no, 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 I don't want to be doing anything like that. Because if you do something like that, those devils might get all over you. (laughs) Okay, I look back on that and I'm thinking, okay, so what's the option? You leave people like this? Well, see, if you understand who you are in Christ, you're not going to worry about some casting a demon out and then that thing, you know, coming, you know, boogie-woogie after you. Because it's not going to happen. I mean, look, I'm going to share something with you that a lot of people don't really understand. But if demons could just arbitrarily jump inside of anybody they wanted to, every one of you in here would be foaming at the mouth. You'd be chewing on the pews. I mean, come on. That can't happen. And some Christians seem to, the way they talk, they make it sound like that can happen. Well, no, it can't. Nevertheless, back here in verse 7, Unclean spirits cry with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, 
preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, let me just stop right there for a moment. It's obvious some supernatural stuff, supernatural stuff was going on through this guy, Simon. But when the people compared what was happening with Philip to what had been going on with Simon, they realized Simon's not who we thought he was. This guy, Philip, he's the real great one of God. And so they kind of turned away from Simon and, and listened to what Philip had to say, and they witnessed all these things happening. And, uh, you know, they believed they get born again. It says they were baptized. Well, then, verse 13, Simon himself believed also. He realized that he was not being used of God maybe the way he thought. And he realized, this guy Philip, he's on to something that I had no clue about. So, Simon himself believed. What does that mean? That means he believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, now get this. Not only did he believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but he would have renounced the stuff from his past. This is a major problem in the body of Christ. We want to lead people to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we don't tell them that junk from your past, it ends now. Right now. You do not continue in this stuff. Because if you do, this isn't going to work. Well, anyway, Simon himself believed also, and, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. In other words, he, he was speechless. Like, my goodness, I, I could never do anything like this. But look, these people are being healed and all these wonderful things are happening. Well, verse 14. When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, it talks about, it goes on and talks about Simon when he saw that people received the Holy Spirit when the hands were laid on them and he offered money, give me this power. How did he know these people had been filled with the Holy Spirit? That he saw. Okay. Well, you know, when you minister to somebody about being filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't see any glowing light flowing from your hand. I mean, there had to be some other kind of manifestation which took place. Well, the other manifestation that took place, these people began to speak in tongues. He saw that. He saw them doing something that he, he would just... I mean, if the stuff before was amazing, this is incredible. But they laid their hands on them. Peter and John laid their hands on them, and these folks were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then obviously began speaking in tongues. Okay, now, why didn't that happen when Philip was ministering. Why not? Because he he's obviously the anointing of God is all over Philip, right? All these these miracles and these signs are taking place. The power of God is moving. Well if the power of God is moving to heal, 
to produce these miracles. Well, why wasn't the power of God moving through Philip for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit? Why did Peter and John come down? In fact, according to what we read here, it appears as though that really about the only thing Peter and John did was lay hands on people and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, we don't see that there were miracles that took place through Peter and John. We don't see that they were preaching, you must be born again. I'm sure that there was more going on than what we specifically see here in Scripture. But, Philip, we and we don't know for sure now how long Philip was there. So this is going on a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, three months, four months, we're not sure. But then word gets back to the apostles like, hey, you know, something down here in the city of Samaria, Samaria, I mean, revival's breaking out. And Philip's the one down there, he's ministering. Well, then Peter and John, they go down to check it out. And when they get there, they begin ministering to people, laying hands on them, and those folks get filled with the Holy Spirit. So, why didn't that happen when Philip was ministering? Why didn't people get filled with the Holy Spirit then? Well, you know what? Scripture doesn't tell us. I mean, it just doesn't, you know, you can't find 2 James chapter 12. verse. I mean, it's, there's nothing in there that tells us. But, as I was thinking about this, I began to wonder, is there a prophetic message in this for this revival now? Is God trying to show us something? Now, I'm not telling you that what we're what I'm getting ready to explain to you is the specific pattern of what's going to happen in this revival. However, I can't see any reason why Philip couldn't have ministered to people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then get filled. Because the power of God was flowing. But yet we see this separation of operations. You follow me? Philip goes in and he's ministering and he's preaching. And yeah, there were signs and wonders taking place. But he went in to this, this area of, of Samaria. He did one thing. Then Peter and John come in and they do something else. So think of it like this. If people wanted to be born again, they would listen to Philip. Or, you know, if they wanted to be healed of something, they go to Philip. You know, would you please minister to me healing? But if they wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they go over here to Peter and John. Cap, you see this? Capture this image? Alright. Every Christian is a member of the body of Christ. Every church is a member or a part of the church. The universal church in this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So every individual is a part of the body of Christ, but every congregation is a part of the congregation of God. The, the pasture of God, if you want to. I mean, however you want to say that. Now when the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is preached. God will work with that message, with those sermons, to touch the hearts of the hearers. The Holy Spirit will move with conviction. 
So somebody stands up and delivers a powerful message about, you know, here's where sin came from. You know, here's what's going on in the world. And no matter how many times you get together to talk about, can't we just have social reconciliation? Can't our countries just sit down and talk? Can't we just work things out? If you study history, it's never happened. Never. And there will never be social reconciliation. There will never be national reconciliation. It's not going to happen because of the sin nature that was released in Genesis chapter 3. It's never, man cannot, man cannot, um, man cannot meet and discuss a way to come up with a plan to conquer the sin nature. Man can't do that. Man cannot pass enough laws to legislate the sin nature. You can't do that. You cannot get enough people to sit down at a table representing countries and sign a document stating we will have peace and that will override the sin nature. You can't do it. So what we see happening in the world is going to continue and it's going to get worse until Jesus comes back. And so, you know, you hear this kind of a message and how your only hope in this world is Jesus Christ. That's it. He is your only hope. Your only hope. You'll never have the kind of peace that God wants you to have if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can't even access that peace unless you're born again. So anyway, a sermon like this gets gets preached. And a bunch of people hear it. I mean, you know, you got like 2, 3, 4, 5, 8, 10, 15,000 people, whatever, in this crusade. And so many of them hear it. And God works with that message to touch every single heart that's represented there, every single heart that's not born again. He moves throughout the midst with that word. You follow what I'm saying? And so a lot of people hear it. They accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They get born again. Glory to God for that. Because born again is the number one priority of revival. But that's not the only priority. Because when you go back, and you don't have to turn to this, but when you go back to, to uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, what we see is the, uh, the declaration from Jesus, and I'm going to paraphrase, tell people about me and how to get born again. And then once they've accepted me as Lord and Savior, you disciple them. You teach them the things that I've taught you. So, getting born again is number one above everything else. But it's not the only thing. Right along with that is the instruction to disciple. Now, what about all the people in that crusade? The 5,000, the 2,000, the 15,000. I mean, all these people that attended that crusade, they heard this message of, you need to be born again. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and on and on. And all these people get born again. Okay, well then what? Who's going to disciple? I've never in my life heard of a discipling crusade. Never. Neither of you. How many times have you heard, well, brother so-and-so is coming to town, going to put up the big tent and disciple people? (laughs) No. (laughs) I've never heard of that, ever. So then, 
What's going on? Where you are right this minute, right now, this minute, in here, in this room, this is where the discipling is supposed to take place. It's not going to take place out there under the tent. It's not going to take place there in the, the arena. That's where the people are led to Jesus Christ. But beyond that, the discipling is supposed to take place here in school. We call it a church. Now think about this. What if, what if, and remember what God said, what we've seen in the Word, how that He will use people the way He chooses to use people. Now, He can't use a person with the anointing of the baptism, the anointing that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He can't use a Christian with that anointing if that person has not been baptized with the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's pretty simple. We understand that. Well, He's going to use you the way He can. The way you have made yourself ready to be used. So then what if? Just what if? As God is looking out and He sees all these people, but it's not just the individuals. He's seeing the churches. This church here. The church You know, that way, and the church over there, and this church down the street, and that church this direction. He sees all these churches. Now, he knows what's going on in those churches. He knows what's happening. He knows what's being taught. He knows how that church is following him, pressing into him. He understands this. So what if, what if, here in this church, it's not our responsibility, our Directive from God to hold a citywide crusade in an arena or under a tent. But instead, our responsibility is to disciple those who get born again in the arena and under the tent. You understand this? What if, again, just what if, because remember... Philip went in, he did one thing, but then Peter and John came in and they did something else. Okay, so what if? What if one church, again, just imagery, what if one church is going to be used by God to get a lot of people saved, but then another church is going to be used to get people filled with the Holy Spirit and discipled? You follow what I'm saying? Some of you are like, I never thought of that before. I mean, I can see the expression in your eyes. Your faces are covered up with a mask, but I can see the expression in your eyes. <laughs> well, think about it. We've just seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God will move on each person differently. He'll call each person differently. We've seen in Acts chapter 8 where God used Philip for one thing and then Peter and John for something else. Okay, why would that concept not extend to the local church? You see, when it comes to this revival that we're, we're in, that has started, that we're pressing into, God cannot use every church for the true discipleship that He wants to take place in the body of Christ. Because if you have a church over here that is believing for revival. But what they're believing for, as far as revival is concerned, 
is a lot of people to be born again. Well, I mean, we all are. But for this, you know, for church number one, they're believing for a lot of people to be born again. But beyond that, they're not believing for people to be healed, for miracles. They're not believing for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not believing for that. But they are believing for people to be born again. And so, they're going to take people to that point. But then you have a church over here that believes, yeah, we're believing for revival. And they not only want people to get born again, but they also want people to get filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But beyond that, they're going to tell people things like, well, you, you, you can't eat pork. And, um, you know, if you're not baptized in water, you're really not born again. Do you follow what I'm saying? So they take the people to another level, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but beyond that, they're not discipling. No, what they're doing is they're actually kind of leading people in the wrong direction. But then you have a church over here that believes, yeah, we want these folks to be born again. And then, yeah, we want these folks to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we want these folks to be able to to, uh, speak in tongues and eat whatever you want. You know, we're going to get you baptized, but water doesn't get you born again. And so on and so forth. But they never explain why praying in tongues is so critical. They never explain about fasting. They never explain about meditating in the Word or teaching people how to meditate in the Word, how to study the Bible. They never teach those things. So that church is taking people to a certain point. But then you have you know, this other church over here that does all of what the other churches are doing, but then goes line upon line, precept upon precept through Scripture and explains. Here's fasting. Here's why. Here's what it does. Praying in tongues. Here's what it does. Meditating in the Word. Here's how you study the Bible. Here's how you... Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay, do you realize that's the church that is going to be the better one for the discipling? Now, God is going to move in every church the best way He can. But when we're talking about revival, we have to understand that it's... It may not be the the uh, the plan of God for one particular church to do it all, to hold the citywide crusade, to rent the arena, to put up the five thousand seat tent. You, I know you understand what I'm saying, and this is one of the reasons why all of us need to be. Well, like what I shared last Sunday, we need to be ready to disciple. Because when people are truly hungry for God, God is going to lead them in a direction where He wants them. Some way, somehow, He'll help them find where they need to be. Now, at that point, it's going to be up to them whether or not they stay there or even go. But He will lead them. I'm saying all of this to say, Our goal here in this congregation is just to press into God 
and receive from Him the direction, the instruction as to what He wants us to do. We cannot assume we've got the responsibility to go do this over here or to go do that over there. Our responsibility is to continue to press into God and continue to be conformed to the image of the glory of Jesus Christ and to be ready for Him to use us however it is He wants to use us. See, if we do not approach all of this from that perspective, then we can start... Well, I'm not saying that we would do this, but some people might start thinking, okay, we're believing for revival and all these people to get saved. When are we going to buy a tent and just go out into the community in different places and set it up and start holding crusades? When are we going to do that? When are we going to go to the parks and start having all the outreach programs? When are we going to do that? You know what? We'll do those things if God says, do those things. But that is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to keep pressing into God and receive from Him the instructions for us. And we need to keep pressing into Him. And and every one of us in here, Like I said, be ready to disciple. Be ready to deliver the Word of God. Be ready to teach. Just the basic entry level, you know, this is where it starts. And I've done a lot of teaching on these things over the years. Get those sermons. Listen to them. And and create your own portfolio of lessons. Be ready. Be ready to do this. You say, well, what if I come up with all these lessons and... You know, God never has me teach anything. Well, He will. I just don't know how. Well, what if I come up with all these lessons and, and I don't know, you know, God only uses, has me teach four or five of them. Well, praise God. You edified yourself along the way. (laughs) You grew along the way. It's possible we may have what I'm referring to as an Acts chapter 8 revival. Philip did one thing. Peter and John did another. One church over here does one thing. Or one evangelist comes into town and does one thing. But then we do our part. Because we are but one church in the congregation of God. Praise God. So folks, listen, we stay focused on what God wants us to do. We keep pressing into Him and we just let it work out. Just let it work out. Praise God.